the title of today's message is, Behold, the Bridegroom Cometh. John 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. For were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's have a word of prayer. As we look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, I know this is a very familiar passage to us. A lot of times uh, this passage is even read at, at funerals, but interestingly enough, this is actually uh, also a wedding passage. We don't, probably don't think of it that way. So what do we mean here when we talk about Jewish, we're going to talk about Jewish wedding customs today in regards to that. As we think about this Jewish wedding customs, you're probably thinking to yourself as we've read this passage, Uh, I don't see much of a wedding here. I don't see a bride. I don't see a groom. I don't see a cake. I don't even see a photographer. You know, what's going on here in this passage? And so one thing I want to challenge us to do is that we should read the Bible from Jewish eyes, not just Gentile eyes. Sometimes we miss, because of our culture and our experiences, sometimes we miss some of the, the background of the scriptures. Now, that doesn't necessarily determine what's right and wrong, but I think it helps us to get a better understanding of what Jesus is teaching here uh, to his disciples and leaving a promise. And so we got to understand what's going on here. Jesus here in John 14, the situation is they're in the upper room, that he and his disciples. And, and uh, of course, just a moment ago, he was actually, uh, he told that one of you will betray me. Judas scared then went up and left. And then shortly after that, Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter that tonight you will deny me three times. And so, obviously, there were some questions that were going on in their minds. What is going on? There's something a little bit off. And remember, this is the celebration of Passover going on, too. It's a very festive time, a time of celebration. And so here we have Jesus, as he's now actually hours away from going to the cross, he leaves the disciples with these words, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so... As we look at this, we again, we look at this here. In my father's house are many mansions. There's a song that we sing. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. All right? You can sing it the rest of your mind, the whole service, right? And we kind of get an idea of, I think, something that's really not in the text per se. We, what do we usually think of mansions? We think of like Gone with the Wind type of mansions, antebellum mansions, sprawling, you know, a thousand rooms type of thing, this opulent place that God is preparing. But here's the interesting thing. We're going to kind of learn what is Jesus actually talking about. Is he talking about a mansion like we think it is? Or what did a mansion mean to that culture 2,000 years ago? Something very different than what we've imagined. And so we're going to kind of look at these things, again, from Jewish eyes. Well, as we think about this, I want to kind of share with you a little story, kind of as an analogy behind this text. So we go back in your mind 2,000 years ago in the hills of Judea. You go to a little village, and uh, there there was a young man. His name was Moshe, or Moses. Moshe, he was a strong and dapper man, hard worker, raised upright. His parents trained him well. And uh, he's walking the, the road there with his friend, and uh, all of a sudden he stops in his tracks. And uh, anyways, he stops, and he looks in a far distance. Over by the well, there's this young lady beautiful young lady there by the well, and he takes a little closer look, he nudges his friend, says, 
who is that? It, I mean, it just, she just caught her eye. You know, maybe you guys, you know what I'm saying, right? Just caught, caught his eye. And, uh, and her friend says, oh, that's Devorah. That's Deborah. That's her name. As you think about that, he says, uh, Devorah. Ah, so you know what he does? He goes a little closer, takes a better look. And you think, what's a good pickup line back 2,000 years ago? You know, hey, do you want to go with me to the bagel shop after the synagogue service? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, understand that dating in that culture really didn't happen like we think of today. You see, uh, for a man and a woman to be alone together in that culture was virtually unheard of unless they were related, okay? And so often what would happen in families, they would actually uh, have either the families would arrange a marriage or sometimes even a matchmaker would be involved. Think of this. You remember a classic example in the Bible is when Abraham sent his servant to Mesopotamia to uh, get a bride for Isaac. In other words, the servant was a matchmaker, if you will. Here's a little advertisement here. See to the right there. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. It says here, marriages are made in heaven. Here, our earth contact, or here on earth, contact our chief. Okay? So there are actually, you know, remember Fiddler on the Roof. There's Yenta, Yenta, the matchmaker. You know, and that was her job to arrange the marriages between, uh, between these young people, okay? And so, anyway, so Moshe, what he does is this. He goes and he sees her, Devorah. And what he does next is very interesting. He goes back to his home, he talks to his parents, and there they get busy and they start writing a ketubah. A ketubah is a marriage covenant or a marriage contract. And in this, this is very important. This is actually a legal document. You see, we think of as... Uh, the next step to marriage would be from dating, you go to engagement, okay? For example, in the Bible, when we read the Christmas story, for example, we think of, of Mary and Joseph, his espoused wife. We think of, usually people think engaged. But understand this, the culture, it was a lot stronger than engagement, okay? What, what, what breaks off an engagement? A bad date, right? Pretty much, okay? But in this time, the, the, probably a better word is betrothal. Betrothal was actually a legal binding document. In other words, it was, it was legal. In other words, the only way you could break a betrothal was an actual divorce. Okay, so this was very important. So in, the, in this uh, ketubah that was written, he would write out how much he would love and care and provide for his bride. And uh, so he would share you know, his heart basically in that. Also, it's important to know that he also included a bride price. He also included a bride price in that. Uh, it was called a dowry, okay? In the, that culture, to help you understand the culture back then, when a, uh, when a father and mother had a, had a child and that child was a boy, that was a great time of celebration. Why? Because that boy would grow up and he would make your family clan bigger and stronger and carrying on your family name. But if you had a girl, yeah, you rejoice, but it was a different type of rejoicing, all right? It was, uh, you understand this, that girls back then were more of a liability. Maybe some of your fathers can relate, not me, of course. But anyways, as you think about this, why? Why was that different? Because, why? Because your daughter would then go to marry someone else's son and make that family clan bigger and stronger. Okay? And so in order to compensate for the father's losses, a dowry was paid for the bride, a bride price. Now, you're thinking back in that culture, what would a bride price be back then, a dowry? Well, maybe a couple camels or a couple donkeys, things like that. Put it this way, on today's terms, it'd be almost equivalent to buying a house. So it would be a worthwhile investment saying that she was worth more than gold. 
Okay, very important. Another thing that was, the third thing that was in the ketubah was also the mention of a get. A get is actually divorce or a divorce insurance. And so for whatever reason, let's say that um, Devorah in this story here, uh, she proved unfaithful or something like that in that uh, Moshe had the, at least the opportunity if he desired to, again, divorce her. But in case that divorce did happen, that she was given support or an alimony, if you will, this get that would be there to supply to care for her needs. Okay, a classic example of this is found in the book of Matthew. When, when, uh, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he was minded to put her away privily, which means this, that he was going to put her away means to divorce her. Again, they're betrothed, okay? They're legally married, just hasn't consummated the marriage yet. So anyways, so now that he was minded to put her away privately, he was going to do it not in a public fashion. That tells you a lot about the character of Joseph, by the way. That was a big, big deal. In other words, he was willing to continue or, or at least to not shame her. That's the idea. Okay? But anyway, so in that, uh, there would be a divorce insurance, insurance, if you will. A dear friend of ours, Itzhak, our friend Itzhak, who's a tour guide, dear friend of ours, he told me that when he wrote his ketubah, he wrote out that he would pay, uh, I'll translate it for you in English, but he would pay $5,555,555 if he would ever have to divorce his wife, okay? Uh, the, the number five in Hebrew is, is important, that's why. So anyways, but the, his father kind of nudged him and says, you better correct that because just in the case it didn't work out, you would have to actually pay her five, over $5 million, Okay, and he thought about, eh, so, okay, let's bring it down a little bit. Nonetheless, it was an interesting story. Okay, so as you think about this, the, here's something else that's important to understand with divorce in Jewish culture, especially still in the state of Israel today, that according to Jewish customs, that the wife cannot divorce the husband. Only the husband can divorce the wife. Even still today in Israel, in order to get a divorce, you, and it happens, but you actually have to go to the rabbinate. You have to go to the, the rabbinical courts in Israel in order to actually get a divorce. And only the men can do that. Only under very, very rare circumstances can the woman divorce the husband. So it's kind of interesting, the parallel of that. Nonetheless, let's go back to the story. So now the ketubah is all ready and presented. So now Moshe makes that trip over to Devorah's house. He comes and he knocks on the door, and Devorah's father opens the door. Guys, you remember that moment when he had to face the dad? Oh boy, and not just fit in his stomach, and said, Oh, Moshe, nice to see you, what are you here for? And he said, uh, well, I'm, I'm here to see your, <coughs> your daughter. He was probably shaking in his sandals, you know. So anyways, as he was doing that, he says, I'm here to see your daughter. So, oh, well, which one? I have several daughters. I'm here to, <coughs> you know you guys remember this, right? I'm, I'm here to see Devorah. <laughs> and so anyways, what happens is this. I said, oh, okay, good. Well, why are you here? And then he holds up the ketubah. He holds up the, the, uh, the marriage contract, the ketubah. And so I said, okay, they come around the table and the families, they look upon it and they drink a cup of wine and they agree upon the ketubah. Okay. And so now comes the moment of truth. So what happens now is this. Here's the proposal. Devorah sits across the table from from Moshe. And Moshe then pours a cup of wine and he places it in front of her. And that's the proposal. If she drinks it, she says yes. If she puts it to the side, she says no. Now she has all the time in the world to think about this, maybe two or three minutes, you know? So, anyway, so she looks at that and this is the moment. 
you got to remember this. If she put it aside, you know, she's not getting younger. She's probably like 13 or 14 at this, at this time, okay? And so in word would get around the village, she's a little stingy, you know. But nonetheless, even though the families would arrange this, it was still the girl's choice whether to accept or not. She still had a personal choice in this. Nonetheless, for the sake of the story, Devorah drinks that cup. She says, I do. Okay, so now there's a celebration in, in all this. So what happens now is very important, is this. Well, let me, let me share with you one little part here that happens. Uh, sometimes, I mentioned about the bride price earlier, the, the dowry, if you will. Uh, sometimes a token of that dowry would be jewelry or special coins and all that. You remember Jesus giving parable of the lost coin. A woman had 10 coins, according to Luke 15, and she lost one of them, and she searched throughout the whole house to find it. Now, you and me probably read that passage, and we think of it, she lost a quarter, what's the big deal, you know? But here's the point of that. That was the equivalent of you ladies losing your wedding or engagement ring. By all means, you're going to turn the house upside down, right? And you're going to throw a party when you find it. That's exactly what she did, okay? So that gives you a little bit of background of that, of that story. Okay, so now there's a wedding to prepare for. And so Moshe, what's happening here is this. After she drinks the cup, Moshe doesn't get up and give her a big kiss. What he does is this. He goes to the door, and he says to Devorah these words. I go to prepare a place for you. He shuts the door, and he heads back to his father's house. Now he gets to work. He's there, and he starts building a little room, or a little mansion, if you will, adjacent to his father's house. In, those, in that culture, what you would have is this. You would have in those communities, and this is typical in the Roman period, period, uh, uh, typically, but you would have a house, but you would always build on, in addition to your house, an extra room, an extra dwelling, an extra abode, if you will, adjacent to the father's house, okay? So he would start building that because that's where he's going to bring his, his wife, Devorah, uh, to, to that house, okay? Now, if he was like most men, he would throw up a simple shack and go get the girl, right, guys? You understand what I'm saying, okay? And so, but there was a common denominator on all this, and that was Moshe's father, the father of the groom. You see, he had been married before, of course, and he wasn't going to just let his son just build something shabby. And so, anyways, he makes sure everything is done right because it needs to be fitted almost like a little mansion, if you will. Okay, so in that regards, he, uh, one day, one of Moshe's friends came by and said, Moshe, I see you're building your little, your little mansion, your little uh, honeymoon cottage here adjacent to your father's house. How's it coming? He said, go, oh, good. He says, oh, Moshe, when's the wedding going to be? And Moshe says, I don't know. Only my father knows when it will be. Oh, interesting. Okay. So Moshe is building away and he's working hard on that. Now, by the way, the time between the engagement to the time of the actual wedding was about a year. It was about a year generally. Okay. And so, sometimes even longer. But nonetheless, about a year. So he's busy working that. What is Devorah doing in the meantime? Well, Devorah is uh, there at her home, and she is learning from her mother and other ladies in her life how to be a, a wife, how to care for the home, things like that, how to care for her husband. Um, and anyways, what she does is this. She does two things. Whenever she goes out in public, she always wears a veil over her face to indicate that she was taken. Go back to your mind to the when Isaac met Rebecca for the first time. Remember, she came from Mesopotamia, and she put on a veil over her face to cover herself, okay? So that was very important as, as we see that. So another thing she would do is this. 
whenever she was at home at night by her bedside, she would always keep a, a lamp trimmed with oil by the bed because you never knew when her bridegroom was going to come to get her, maybe even as a thief in the night, if you will. And so as you think about that, she always had to be prepared with that, that oil lamp and also whenever she went out in, cover, uh, out in public, had to have her face covered with that veil. So she became kind of a mystery woman, if you will, of the village. So now that year has passed and Moshe's father says, okay, it looks great, son, go and get your bride. There's a wedding, folks, a wedding to be prepared for. And so what happens is this. Moshe gets his best men all together, and they go on the streets in the middle of the night, and they come, and they start rejoicing and celebrating. The whole town wakes up. And uh, anyways, the, the groom calls out, or the groomsman, uh, the best man, if you will, cries out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. There's a cry being made. And then also, there is a sound that is being made as well. And that's the sound of the shofar. The sound of the shofar. Okay, and so the shofar, of course, is the ram's horn, and it was used, of course, for war, calls for assembly, but it was also used to announce weddings that was about to happen. So a shofar was blasted and, of course, woke the whole town up, but for a good reason. There's a wedding that's going to take place. And so what would happen is very important now. Moshe would stop halfway between his house and Devorah's house. And his groomsmen would go and bring her, escort her, Devorah, to him. And now what would happen is this. They would go into the little chamber that he had been preparing. It's called a chuppah. Okay? And so as they go in there, they shut the door, and that is the, that's when the marriage is now consummated in that. And so there's a cry at the door. There's a, his best man is at the door waiting, and once the marriage is consummated, then there's a big celebration. Okay? This couple is now together. Okay? So as you think about this, she is now in there for seven days with, with Moshe, okay? Seven days, they, typically a week, that the couple is now in their little mansion, in their honeymoon cottage. At the end of the seven days is now the presentation of the bride. And so Moshe now comes and he shows her out. The veil's now taken off. Now the mystery woman has been revealed. It's Devorah. Oh, wonderful. At this time then, the father of Moshe, he now throws a big party, a big marriage supper. And all are invited. All are invited to come and partake and to celebrate with a couple. And in doing that, what was traditionally done is that the groom, especially wealthy fathers, uh, they would provide a, a special wedding garment, a kittel, a kind of a robe, if you will, to each guest as they came. But let's say, for example, you came, he says, I, I'm not going to stay very long, just give well wishes to the couple and eat a piece of cake and that's it, you know? Ever been to a wedding like that? Or maybe you know people who have, all right? So anyways, everyone's given that, but guess what? The, the man, he says, you know, I, I don't need the garment, I'm going to be here quickly and gone, so don't worry about it. Well, that would be disgracing to the family. If you would refuse to basically wear your own clothes instead of what was given to you as that. And usually what happened, if someone would disgrace a family member like that, usually they were, they were kicked out of that community. It was very serious to disrespect. It was a shame and honor type culture. Still is, actually. And so, anyways, as you think about that, that's kind of what happened. So the marriage supper is, is done. And guess what? The, Moshe and Devorah live happily ever after. Okay? Of course. You have to, 
all right? So kind of want to show you a couple other things before we get more back in the message. So we talked about the chuppah. The chuppah, I mentioned that is the word. And actually it's used in, especially in the Old Testament, talking about the chamber, the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The Hebrew word is chuppah. And it basically is referring to that little mansion, that little honeymoon cottage that he had been building. Today in Jewish weddings, uh, couples are married under a chuppah. This was actually from our wedding. Don't we look so young? Mandy hasn't changed a bit, right? So I have, all right? So this is our chuppah that we have, okay? And so this represents the home that they are, are making. And one of the goals is this, when you build the chuppah, is to have an open top on it. And that is to, um, to remind uh, them of God's promise to Abraham that your seed will be as the stars of the heaven, as the sands upon the seashore. On the front of our chuppah, we had this sign. It says, Ani le dodi ve dodi li, which is from Song of Solomon. I am, in my be- I am my beloved's and he is mine. So a very, very important phrase as we think about that. Uh, one thing that we did with our, our, our chuppah that we were married under 20 years ago, one, 20 wonderful years, all right? I love you, all right? So is uh, this is now, as most of you know, that uh, in Tennessee we were involved in, and I was the curator of the Everlasting Nation Museum that we had there at, at IBJM. And one of the exhibits we have is on the Jewish wedding. And so our, our canopy, our chuppah, is actually in the museum now. So you guys got to see it. That's where we were, under where we were married. So, so anyways, and above it again is the sign, as we see here. So anyways, pretty interesting as we see that. Let me share with you some other things in regarding Jewish weddings today. Is, and this is part is called the Bedeckin. And the Bedeckin, to be honest with you, it's a total different thought. You remember John Madden, you know, the famous sports announcer? He was always at uh, Thanksgiving, he would call Turdeckin, you know, turkey, duck, and chicken together. Anyways, Bedeckin, it just, that's my monomic. Anyways, nonetheless, as we think about this, the unveiling ceremony. So what happens before the wedding ceremony takes place today in Jewish society is this, the groom will actually come, usually assisted by the family members, and he would come and he would place the veil over the, over the bride, okay? Why does he do that? It actually is linked with back in Genesis. Remember when Jacob got tricked? And you're probably wondering, how in the world, remember this, that Jacob, you know, the morning after his wedding, he thought he was marrying Rachel, and he wakes up and it's Leah. How was he tricked? It was because of the veil, because of the veil, remember that we talked about. Okay, and so now, in order to not be tricked anymore, the, the groom will purposely make sure that uh, I'm putting the veil on. I want to know who I'm marrying, okay? So it's more for security, all right? So as we see that, that's very important. Another thing, too, is the ring ceremony. This happens again today in Jewish customs. Not, it wasn't back in the time of Jesus, per se, but this is important to see. Uh, you see, when, a, when we do a ring ceremony today, we place it on the ring finger, on the fourth finger here, okay? But in Jewish customs, and by the way, if you've ever watched Fiddler on the Roof before, if you haven't, watch it and pay attention to the wedding scene, okay? When they sing, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. Remember that song? Beautiful song. We have sung at our wedding, actually. Anyways, so what happened is this, that the groom will take, as you see in the picture, he will take the ring and he will place it on the bride's, not the ring finger, but on the index finger, okay? And then she will show it around. But question is, why does she do this? Now, to be honest with you, it's very hard to find an explanation of this, okay? But I uh, did some researching many years ago on this with some of my Israeli friends. And uh, what the answer was is very interesting, is this, that this happens to be the seventh finger, or if you put it on the other hand, still, unless you have 
odd number of hands, you know, fingers. All right, so anyways, that's the seventh finger. Well, why seven? We say perfection, but think of this. What is the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. When she does it, she is showing the world, I will be faithful to my husband. It's a sign of fidelity. Whether, now, if you ask Jewish people today about that, they, they probably wouldn't know that, okay? Uh, but it's a tradition, okay? They do it more so because of tradition, not because of the meaning per se. But nonetheless, that's why. That's the, the reason why it happens, okay? So now at the end of the ceremony today, there is a breaking of the glass. And so uh, what happens is at the very end, after he, uh, he's betrothed, or excuse me, after he's they do the announcement, they now put a glass down on the floor, and the groom comes and he smashes the glass on the floor. This is actually the glass from my wedding uh, that I smashed the glass from, okay? So a nice keepsake. But why? Why do they do it? Why did that tradition get started? There's a couple answers to that, which one you want to believe, it's up to you. But nonetheless, there's a story, at least, that goes back during the Talmudic times that there was during a wedding celebration. In the midst of that, a rabbi got up and he took and he smashed a glass on the floor. And they looked around, Rabbi, why'd you, do, why'd you smash a glass on the floor in the midst of the wedding? What's going on? And he says, we got to remember. I'll do my best Tevia voice. You got to remember that in the midst of a joyous celebration such as a wedding, we got to remember that the temple has been destroyed. And so even in the midst of a joyous occasion, there's always a remembrance back to the temple. Okay? And so this is why when a groom, Jewish groom breaks the glass, he says these words, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its coming, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And so this is why uh, the breaking of the glass uh, occurs during a Jewish wedding celebration. Okay, so now with all this kind of in as a background for our our text today, I'm sure by now you've probably put the pieces together of the analogy what happened there in the Jewish wedding customs and what happened today. You see, Jesus before he went to this earth, he promised to his disciples something very important. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, i go to prepare a place for you. You see, just as Moshe saw Devorah, even so, the Bible says we, didn't, uh, he, we love him because he, what, first loved us. It was Christ who set our eyes upon us. Okay? We also see that Jesus Christ wrote out a ketubah, marriage covenant. The Bible says, actually Jesus mentioned this during the Last Supper, that uh, during the Last Supper, that this is the blood of the New Testament blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, God says that he would write a new covenant and place it in men's heart. The new covenant, we would, you probably know it better as the New Testament, okay? And this is his love letter to us. And in that ketubah, as Jesus wrote, he would write how much he would love and care and provide for us, protect us in so many ways. Also, we read about the bride price, Remember that there was a dowry, a bride price that was paid for Devorah for him to become his wife. Even so, Jesus, he gave us, uh, he paid, what? He paid a bride price for us. And what was that? His own life, body, and blood for us. How great the Father's love is for us. That's pretty amazing when you think about that. Also, remember in the Ketubah, there was a mention of a get, about a divorce insurance, just in case there was unfaithfulness that would happen. Uh, there was a clause where they could have uh, had a divorce and that alimony or support would have been given to the wife. Well, Jesus also took care of that for us in his Ketubah. And what does he say this? What does he say about divorcing? As much as we do, we are unfaithful to him. He says that no one will be able to pluck you out of my hand. No one will be able to separate you from my love. So he took care of that. Pretty amazing. 
So Jesus then, with that that's been agreed upon in his own blood, he now offers that cup and he proposes to us. Remember at the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples celebrating the Last Supper, he took that cup and when he took it, he presented it before his disciples. He said, drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the New Testament blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know what Jesus was doing there? He was proposing to his disciples. He said, will you marry me? Will you accept me? This is what they're saying. Those disciples probably, their eyes were probably wide open. I'm sure they caught that, or at least some image of that. But Jesus was proposing to his disciples. Even so, Jesus offers us a free cup of salvation. It's free to all who would receive that. Very important. As Jesus was about to leave this world, by the way, you and I, as Jesus presents that cup to us, you and I have all the time in the world to think about it too. Maybe two or three minutes. Maybe two or three years. You don't know. We don't know how long our life is going to be on this earth. But I pray for the sake of the story that you have drunk that cup that Jesus has given. And you have accepted him as your savior. If you have done that, Jesus then promises us, as he promised his own disciples here, he gets up and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Just before Jesus went to heaven, that's what he does. And by the way, the, the, it says here in verse 2, if I go to prepare a place. The word I go here is the same word that Jesus is using there, talking about his ascension into heaven. He went back to heaven. The Bible says, where did he go? He went back, he went back to his father. And he's there, and he's building that mansion, if you will, that little honeymoon cottage. When we think about this, sometimes we think about that big opulent mansion, but we're talking about special rooms, special apartments, special dwelling places. But, you know, how will that look like? I don't know, but it's going to be out of this world. You know, put it that way, all right? Praise God for that promise. He is preparing that mansion for us. What are we supposed to do while we wait? Just like Devorah, she had her veil over her face. That veil is our faith, that people will know that we are Christians, that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, we should have that lamp trimmed by our bedside, ready at a moment's notice, whenever the Lord will return. And what is that lamp? The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and light unto our path. Talking about the, the oil, the oil usually represents the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to be not drunk with wine or success, but be filled with the Spirit. Sing yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is important as we think about this. Well, as we wait, and it could happen any day. Like I said, they waited about a year or more before the wedding would take place. We've been waiting nearly 2,000 years for the Lord to return. All right, and he is coming. The Bible says here in verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The word receive there has the idea of a, a groom taking a bride to himself. That's the idea. But one day, and we don't know the day or the hour, we don't know when the Lord will return, but we know it's going to happen. We are sure of that, okay, according to God's promise, that one day, God says, the Father says, okay, it's time to go get your bride, the church. What happens is this. Jesus Christ, according to the book of 1 Thessalonians, he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, behold, the bridegroom cometh, going out to meet him. And with the trump of God, could be even be the shofar. When you hear the shofar blowing, that's a little bit of rapture practice, okay? All right? So as you think about that, the shofar is blown. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And the Bible says this, just as Moshe stopped halfway between his house and Devorah's house, even so Christ, we will meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. The, the rapture is not the second coming. They're two different events, okay? In the, in the second coming, he physically comes to this earth, okay? But in the rapture, he simply comes in the clouds, and we are taken up 
to him in, in the air, okay? And so when we hear that, guess what? We will be ushered into that chuppah, into that chamber, into our, our honeymoon cottage, if you will, okay? And guess what? Just as Moshe and Deborah, they were in that honeymoon cottage for seven days. The Bible says, I think the next scheduled event on the, in, the, in the Bible here is the rapture of the church, which could happen at any moment. After the rapture of the church, shortly after we'll follow the seven years of tribulation, that will come upon this earth, and God will pour out his judgment, his wrath upon this earth, okay? We don't want to be here during that time, for sure. But God has brought us, he's given us a way through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And so now we will be in that honeymoon cottage for seven years, just like seven days, very similar. And at that seven, end of the seven years, guess what? Christ returns to this earth, and guess who's with him? His bride. He's not going to leave his bride. He's, we're with him forever. And now, guess what happens? We, he reveals to the world who was this mystery. Remember this. The church is a mystery. Okay? Even the Old Testament saints did not see it that way. But now he presents, and that veil is taken off, and now here we are presented to the world. This is who my bride is. And so it's amazing. And then, of course, after the Battle of Armageddon, what happens is the Millennial Kingdom and the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Again, this is welcome to all who will come and accept him. But unfortunately, there will be those who even there will rebel against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and against his son, Jesus Christ. What a tragic situation that will be even for them, even when it's fully out, the glory is fully out in front of them. But nonetheless, this is important. As we think about this, garments are, are given to them. So many people, I think, they try to get favor in their own way. They wear their own robes of righteousness, which is not sufficient for what Christ offers each and every one of us. So in the end of our story, just as Moshe and Devorah, they lived happily ever after. So my question to you today as we think about what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 14, that the promise of his return is sure. It will happen. Jesus keeps his promises. And he has given us, in the meantime, while we wait for him, his word, his ketubah. Read it. Study it, know it, know our God, and fall in love with our Lord and, and J Savior, Jesus Christ. But never forget the price that was paid for us. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your, in your spirit, which are God's. So again, we are, we are bought with that price, that bride price. So never lose sight of that. And I pray that your story, as well as Motion Devoris, will be this, and they lived happily ever after. This is the blessing that we have. In knowing Jesus Christ personally as our Savior, as our bridegroom. As we look at this here, it's kind of interesting. We are so used to reading the Bible from Gentile eyes. Seeing it from, at least from an analogy of a Jewish perspective. It kind of gives us better understanding of Jesus' great love for us. Oh my, when we think about how great the Father's love is for us. And that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for each and every one of us. I pray that each and every one of you have that personal relationship with God, that there was a time in your life that you remember taking that cup and drinking and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. You've trusted in him for the salvation of your sins. And now you are reconciled with God. We've been talking in the past couple of weeks about having peace of God and having peace with God. And guess what? That's because of the price of peace that took off. And that was the, the, the life, body, and blood of Jesus Christ. So I challenge us today that we would fall in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and until he returns, and he is coming, that we would be faithful to him. Praise God for the truth that we have. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Are you ready to meet him?